Well, hi. You're listening to Body Talk with me, The Nihilist. Body Talk is a new series of podcasts where we discuss sex, sexual health, sexuality and sex culture in general and all from a very queer point of view. So the last episode I did, I called it Talk About Body, and it was just me talking about my own body, which if you want, you can go back and you can find that one and listen to it. But for this edition of Body Talk, which is Body Talk number two, I am delighted to introduce onto the show the first ever guest that we're hosting. And who better to get to pop our guest cherry here on Body Talk with the Nihilist than the acclaimed theatre director, playwright, actor, producer, performer. There's quite a lot of other words I could use to describe them, including fat bloke, which is not a term that they will find offensive because that's a term that they use to describe themselves. It is, of course, Scotty Scotty. You may know Scotty from the award-winning shows that they have written and produced recently, one of them being Fat Blokes, which I just mentioned, and the other one being Class, which is an exploration of Scotty's youth growing up as a working-class kid. We have quite a lot that we could talk about, um, including the experience of growing up as fat kids and gay and queer and all that kind of thing. But for this edition of Body Talk, I wanted to just stick to one general topic. So we've decided to talk about on this edition the whole world of non-monogamy. So that includes polyamory, open relationships and swinging and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure that we'll be getting Scotty back on for another edition of Body Talk at some point in the not too distant future. But for now, here is Body Talk with the Nihilist edition two, special guest Scotty Scotty. And while it goes without saying, I'm going to say it anyway. Body talk contains very explicit upfront language of a sexual nature. So if that's not your bag, baby, you have been warned. Scotty, Scotty, welcome to Body Talk. How are you doing, my dear? I'm doing good. It's lovely to speak to you via the medium of the internet. I mean, it would be nice to do things face to face, but, you know, needs must yeah, it is socially distant now. It's for everyone's best safety, I think. We like mm. best safety practices. So um, I have a... T- well, I'm actually nicking something from one of my favourite podcasts, which is a podcast called Rune Soup, hosted by a man called Gordon White. It's uh, probably my favourite podcast at the moment, but I'm going to nick something from the Rune Soup playbook. And every time mm-hmm. Gordon White has a guest on the show, a new guest who hasn't appeared before, he always asks them the same question. So I'm going to be asking all the guests coming up onto Body Talk the same initial question. It's not the same one that they ask on Rune Soup. It's my own question that I have devised out of the depths of my own brain. And it's very highly <laughs> original. Very, very original. There's never been anything like this question in modern culture, I'm sure you'll know. So this is the question that I'm going to be asking all the guests coming on the show. And Scotty, seeing as you are our first guest, you get to answer it for the first time. Scotty, do you remember your first time? <laughs> what a question and what an honour <laughs> to be the first person to answer it. That's all right. Um, it's all ours. Well, there's, I mean, there's so many first times, isn't there? So yes. uh, is, is there a, are, are we narrowing down what, what first time? Because if we're talking about the first time I had a snog, um, mm. it probably would have been with a girl. 
uh, at a house party scandal. Yes. Who knew? Yeah. Um, if we're talking about um, the first time, you know, I remember when we were like young, there was always like this chat about like, have you come yet? Okay. <laughs> Which is really, it's quite bizarre. I think we were probably quite highly sexualized teenagers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember that being a thing between like the boys would always be like, yeah, have you, have you come yet? Have your balls dropped yet? That, that being like this sort of, or have you got pubes yet? That being like this entry into you being like male or yeah. legitimate or somehow better than the other people in the group. Okay. Um, so I think that I, I do remember quite vividly mm. because I remember I was like, you know, just playing with yourself as you yeah. do. It's about self-discovery. Yeah. But watching Queer as Folk, so that sort of tells you how old I was. I was okay. like probably about 12 or 13 maybe. Okay. And I had a TV in my bedroom. Yeah. Um, and hovered the finger. My finger was constantly over the change channel button, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. in case someone would come in. Yep. Um, and there was this thing that, like, because my parents had a TV in the living room, if they went on to the same channel, you could sort of hear that you were both watching the same thing at the same time because of the sound would sync. Yes. So I remember, like, if they if they were watching it, I'd have to like turn over. Uh-huh. And so I remember that. I remember queer as folk being. You know, the first time I probably spaffed on the carpet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, First time having a sexual experience was with a guy, (laughs) this is so Catholic, was with a guy at my brother's christening. (laughs) And he was on, he lived on my estate. And I, I think I was very, so I would have been just 12. And I was very young and very innocent in that way that I just didn't think that that's what sleepovers was yeah. and we woke up in the morning when I woke up and he was he was less innocent than I was he knew what he was doing and how he was doing it mm-hmm. and I think that became a sort of sexual friendship that mm-hmm. happened periodically till I was about 16 yeah. um, but that happened with a lot of young men on my estate a lot of young men would like and like major trigger warning here mm. is that a lot of the sex that I had as a teenager wasn't always consensual or the lines around consensuality were very blurred yeah. because it just wasn't spoken about. So I remember quite a lot and I've put this in work where, you know, like the hard nut of my estate would lock me in a bin shed and then basically have a sexual experience with me that I sort of wanted to happen, but not on those terms. And then afterward, he would do something which created it to be a sort of a less of a consensual and more of a a violent act. So sometimes he would spit in my face or he'd say, if you tell anyone, I'm going to fucking kill you. So, um, I mean, that's (laughs) the dark macabre part of this is, it's definitely informed some of the sex that I like to have as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where particularly with spit, I find that kind of highly erotic. Um, and I think no matter how difficult and troublesome some of those experiences were, they do inform your sexual behaviours or the things that you lust after. Yes. Um, so the the long 
winded answer there. The short winded answer is there were many firsts for me. And I think I still have many firsts now as well. Yeah. That's why I specifically, when I was originally coming up with the question and ripping off um, Rune Soup in the process, I originally devised the question to be, do you remember your first orgasm? But then I actually thought about it. It's actually more interesting to make it more open-ended because it does give Mm -hmm. the interviewee the legroom to, you know, if there's something about, and I appreciate your candor. Thank you for being so open about your formative sexual experiences. But I do realize that there's potentially going to be guests on the show who don't want to go into that depth about something that might be that negative for themselves. So I framed it as being, well, do you remember your first time? And also, obviously, it's that pulp song. And they'd made a short film about that in the 90s when I was a kid and I was growing up and like talking about your first time. In that film, it was specifically about like losing your virginity. But that phrase, do you remember the first time, is quite a nice, open, easy phrase to ask people and to um, get them to start talking about sex. And there's also, yeah. there's also a follow-up question as well, though, if mm. you want to speak about this. And it's like, do you remember the last time? Uh, yeah, I do. It was last night. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> With um, one of my partners, JJ. I uh-huh. just arrived. Um, so JJ lives in a different country to me. He lives in a place called Scotland. S- Scotland? Um, Scotland, terribly yeah. exotic. It's, it, it's basically the land that I own. Um, it's, it, and so we met during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival last year. Okay. And at no point did I think... I had just come out of quite a big relationship that meant quite a lot to me and was a very difficult breakup and an end. Yeah. And my friend, um, Matty, said to me, just download the apps and have a shag with somebody. Hmm. And I did. And it was JJ. And now we're in a relationship. Oh, um, that's... And so I've been... Yeah, so I, I arrived last night. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when you haven't seen each other, we have these big gaps. Yes. Um, and so the last time we saw each other was like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, lust takes over yeah. where it's just... it's. You know, because there are different types of sexual experiences, as you and I well know, where some of them are like purely transactional. Some of them are about love and affection. Some of them don't climax. Some of them are just about touch. Some of them are about emotion. Um, But sometimes lust is just like, oh, my God, this energy, we're back together again. And this needs to be played out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite interesting that you um, met JJ on an app because of... um like app culture is something that I want to is a theme that I want to come back to and discuss a lot on body talk in future episodes I will come back to that point in a minute though but the reason I wanted to speak to you specifically the kind of theme of this show that I asked you know that we can both talk about that I wanted to interview about is I think non-monogamy is the easiest way to sum up what I'm wanting to talk about because it's more than just polygamy or polyamory and stuff it's the whole area of like just not being in a heteronormative monogamous relationship could you describe for us how you describe your relationships like how you know you're you're you yourself are a non-monogamous person is that fair to say I would actually say I'm a polyamorous okay. person. So I'm cool. a person, but uh, um, but something that I think is really important to always mark within that is yes. that because I'm a polyamorous people a person, they think that my partners are also polyamorous. Okay. So one of my partners, I think, is working out where they stand with non-monogamy and I guess 
they might identify as monogamish or mm-hmm. socially monogamous or partially socially monogamous. Yeah. Um, because we're all in different phases and of trying to work out where we where we sit within it. Yes. I identify as polyamorous, so I I, I enjoy um, meaningful or and loving relationships or advanced relationships with people that go beyond just sexual experience mm-hmm. and um, sexual energy. Mm-hmm. And then another one of my partners is socially monogamous but um so like familiarly so to family is monogamous but socially non-monogamous or monogamish as dan savage calls it so yeah could we break that down a bit so that just what that means a bit clearer because i'm that's this is new to me as well so monogamish mm-hmm. is when you put the world would perceive you as being monogamous okay. and you don't ever feel the need to be like, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. like it's none, no one else's business. Okay. So you're sort of ishly monogamous, but you do have other sexual partners. Mm-hmm. And those can be just people that you meet up for a drink with, mm-hmm. some people that you just have have a hookup relationship with. Mm-hmm. They could be like close friends that you also have sexual like encounters with yes. so monogamish sort of count, uh, is is that okay. but you know joe blogs on the street or jane who sees you at the photocopier mm-hmm. might think you're just like a happily married heteronormative okay. um yes. monogamous person yes. um so polyamorous is um i i, I seek and have a loving and mm-hmm. uh uh relationships that are what I would call an advanced relationship. So it's it's not just about um, having sexual exchange. And that's no shade to people who yep. want and need that. Yep. I think my how that's been informed is I met a partner when I was 18. And I'd had a lot of sex leading up to that. But I hadn't ever had... Uh, lots of different relationships okay. I think I had one boyfriend before him and so I've I've been in that relationship since I was 18 mm. so polyamory allows me to meet other people that I want to love and experiment loving or different sorts of relationships with mm. um, and for that partner he doesn't he has had lots of different relationships, but had had very limited experiences with um, AMAB bodies, so assigned male at birth bodies, okay. particularly AMAB fat bodies. Yes. Um, yeah. So he wanted to explore like other fat, other fatness, and other fat bodies. Sure. So it, it, yeah, it's it's. A, I think non-monogamy for me is like a really like queer way of approaching love making sex and sexual experiences mm-hmm. where it's like what do you need mm-hmm. how can that be fulfilled mm-hmm. how can you not harbor any jealousies or feeling that you've been left out or coulda woulda shoulda mm-hmm. it allows everyone to choose what they want from their sexual and relationship lives yeah yeah that is a really that is a great way of explaining it and describing it just for the listenership who might be hearing this it started to rain here so there's a pitter patter of raindrops on our uh, veranda outside Might make a nice <laughs> little sound bed underneath the chat but um yeah that is a great way of clarifying what those words mean i definitely i'm monogamish i think mm-hmm. as it gets for me personally so i have my life partner we've been together 10 years 
Um, beyond my life partner, I have quite a lot of different men that I have sex with. That's both kind of like hookup, one night hookup, um, but also longer term sex relationships. Um, and that some of that has to do with more kind of like dominant and submissive roles and stuff like that, that go on. But in terms of an actual romantic thing, and some of those like relationships have become very like close friends and stuff. Um, mm. But in terms of a romantic relationship at the moment, it is just one person who is my long-term partner. We have discussed, you know, the potential of polyamory happening in the future. And our point of view when we first discussed this, this is about five years ago probably, um, was that it's quite a lot of work just maintaining this relationship. So we're not 100% sure if bringing someone else into a relationship would work for us at that point. Now, mm-hmm. I think we're just open-minded enough to think that, look, if something happens, if something happens, I don't want to close any door to something like that straight off the bat, and it's possibly something that we would try out. And at that point, then we would know if it does work or doesn't work for us. But currently, definitely monogamish in terms of... Um, I mean, the thing for me as well, that how I describe my own personal like love and sex life like that, traditionally in gay circles... Uh, open relationship is the term that is used but to be honest um, I find that that term itself has become quite pejorative within the gay community and it's kind of been Mm. weaponized and used against me when I tell other people oh we have an open relationship so this being the kind of queer world where everything is inverted open relationship feels like it should be the kind of like judgment free term that you can use to describe yourself and in the straight world swingers are seen as being like oh swingers are a bit sleazy and a bit seedy and oh like they're just those you know that old woman who runs the pub and she's a bit of a everyone knows oh she's a bit of a swinger it's quite like swinger is quite a pejorative term i feel in straight mainstream culture but actually i've come to describe myself as a swinger because my um my foremost interest in looking for someone outside of my long-term relationship is sex like sex is kind of like a hobby of mine it's a pursuit and it's a passion of mine it's something i really love doing so my interest in looking for people outside of my long-term relationship is sexual as opposed to romantic and i think when you use the term open relationship people see that as being oh well you're it there's a romantic element to the phrase open relationship which again comes down to are you monogamish or are you polyamorous And at the moment, I'm monogamish because I'm not looking for any other romantic needs outside of my long-term relationship. I'm looking for physical needs. So I've come to describe myself as being a swinger because there's a lot less baggage with that term when it comes to um, queer world, you know. I Mm. think the baggage that is attached to the term swinger comes from straight people and they can keep it. Like, I am a swinger. Like, we swing, we have sex with a lot of different people. We have sex with indivi- people individually on our own. And then we also have sex with people together as a couple, as a, you know, more kind of combination or whatever. We can bring people into our couple relationship to have sex with them together. Um, so, yeah, I find that that's interesting as well, how I've kind of rejected the term open relationship because it's very pejorative. Mm. Like, do you find negative feedback if you tell people about being non-monogamous? Oh, yeah. And I'm not, I mean, you know, I'm not out to my family because I think, well, my brother knows, but my parents don't know because it's, 
It's always this sense that there must be something wrong yeah. in one of your relationships for you to be wanting something else. Yeah. Um, something which I find like a beautiful irony about the cultures that we find ourselves living in is that it's super highly sexualized, mm -hmm. largely through capitalism, largely to kind of like coax money out of our hands. But if you are a hypersexual person or a person that has relationships that sit out of what is sold to us via daytime television, mm -hmm. then suddenly you're a weirdo. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like, well, you've been selling us, like, this idea of sex and sexual freedom. But I think quite often things are considered... Those of us who have more than one sexual partner or more than one relationship, we are considered to be seedy or smutty. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like, secular society, like, the, the dominance of faith um, and how that has informed how we still live today, I think is very evident when we talk about these things, when we talk about queerness, when we talk about non-monogamy. Um, yeah, I have had friends who, who have responded very positively, who've just been like, oh my God, great. I mean, recently I had a friend respond to me when I was like, oh, I'm going to see a partner in Edinburgh. And they were like, oh, I didn't know that you were um, Polly. And I was like, yeah, I didn't tell you. I, you know, mm. I guess, you know, I just thought, it, it it will come up when it comes up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I'll get me being modern. And they said, no, I consider polyamory the thing that the old dykes do. And I was like, oh my God, yes, it is, isn't it? It's yeah. like a real beautiful lesbian tradition mm -hmm. um so that so sometimes you get experiences like that then i uh, something that's fractured a relationship between me and a very close friend mm -hmm. is when i came out to them and they were like what's wrong in your relationship you can't do this you shouldn't be doing this i think it's weird who's this other person and i was just like oh it's almost i think sometimes as a non-monogamous or a polyamorous person you can feel infantized is, is that the word like that you're being like petted as a child that you don't really know your emotions infantilized yes. thank yep. you like mm -hmm. you don't really know your emotions or have control of them that like somebody else has to do an intervention and be like do you not know like actually you should just be happy with one mm. um mm -hmm. i think the thing that makes so much sense to me when i have to respond to that and something that like other people never have an answer for mm -hmm. is that i say i'm not asking you to be it yeah and i think that's the same way as where we were with, like, homosexuality yes. in the 80s. Absolutely. Where people thought, like, you know, the gays were, like, feeding children poppers through the school gates and, like, we were all trying to get people to leave the church and, like, come down to a, a gay nightclub. Like, it's just <laughs> oh, not never. Okay. <laughs> never. I would never want people to leave the church and come to a gay nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, now we're in a very different position. I mean, but but it's it's like I'm not saying this is the way. I'm saying this is another way, mm -hmm. and this is how I choose to live my life. Mm -hmm. It's not for everybody, mm -hmm. and polyamory isn't for everybody. People can be non-monogamous and not feel like polyamory is for them. Yeah. But once I say that to people who are like, mm, "You must just be unhappy or sexually unfulfilled," is another cliche that's often yeah. thrown um, at us. Is is that they're like, oh okay, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. And my sort of backup question that I often will come in is that I'll say, it, isn't it cruel to think that I want my partner to be 
this long-standing relationship who knows me inside and out, mm. who can know what I'm thinking. Mm. And then I also want to put the pressure on him to be new, fresh, dynamic, and, and, and like, yeah. f- f- fleeting and young mm. and all of that. Like, one person should not be expected mm. to be everything for another person. Yes, absolutely. And for me, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's that societal pressure of finding everything that you want in one person. And for me, it's like, as much as I love my long-term partner, he only has one penis, I'm afraid. And I'm quite a fan (laughs) of more than one penis entering my body at the same time. I know that sounds like quite a facetious thing to say, but that is a reality. It's like, Mm. for me, group sex is a lovely, great, physically, the sensations that you can achieve through group sex are brilliant and lovely and very nice. And we shouldn't wall ourselves off from experiencing those things. So it's like... And unfortunately, my partner only has one penis and I only have one penis and we both love playing around with more than one penis at the same time. So why should we limit ourselves to just, you know, but that's very much coming at it from like a sexual point of view as well. I think one of the things that interests me about the dominance of monogamy in modern culture, in modern society as well, is the kind of, I mean, I'm like, I'm a homosexual. I'm not going to... Uh, identify your sexuality that's up for you to do that but I do know that we both have long-term partners that are same sex so I think it's possibly easier for people who are in same sex relationships to open up those relationships to other either romantic or sexual experiences with people still of the same basic gender or the same basic gender identities however when it comes to heterosexual couplings of you know the traditional a cisgender man and a cisgender woman coming together Uh, I think that one of the reasons that monogamy is so deeply ingrained is not just that it comes from patriarchy and it was originally intended to be the ownership of a woman by a man, but there is a kind of subtle power play going on in monogamy itself, whereby once both parties have entered into that contract of kind of ownership of the female by the male, then the female kind of takes on that role of the ownership. And when the male is... You know, I mean, this is going. This is kind of assuming that the males are the one who's straight. But in a lot of relationships where that is the thing, if the male is to stray, that breaks the relationship from the female point of view. So it's like in patriarchy, women are not granted an awful lot of power. That's the reality. Yeah. Their power and their agency is stripped away from them. So one of the few arenas where they are granted power and agency is in the marital bed and homestead. So the the you know the idea of monogamy I personally think this is my opinion is so deeply rooted in modern society because it's one of the few arenas where women are granted a kind of power. So yeah, that's my opinion on why I mean there's a lot of reasons why monogamy is so steadfast, but I think that mm. is one of them. I think it is because I have to be honest, I feel like the people who react the most negatively to me telling them that I have an open relationship or that I am a swinger tend to be married straight women because it's very out with that's just maybe the ones that I know. I don't like to make mm. generalizations, but from my experience you know, when I've told my straight male friends that, you know, I'm a swinger, they tend to be, oh, cool, like as if that's something that they themselves would like to achieve. However, when I tell a lot of my straight female friends that that's the reality of our relationship, there is more shock there on their part. 
I don't know. What do you think? Do do you think it breaks down that easily? Well, I well, there's there's a lot to like decipher there. I think something that in my experience that I have um, picked up from. Um, being around femmes and women mm-hmm. and those who identify as trans women is actually the the drive for sex is very different. That isn't to say all women have a different sex drive. It's it, the impetus, I think, some, sometimes, and the ideas around sensation and drive mm-hmm. are not the same as they are within bodies that have testosterone yes. or masculine bodies. Okay. Um, Something I found when talking to straight guys like yourself is that they are like, oh, my God, great. That's amazing. Yeah, I'd love to do that. But then when you ask them, how would you feel about your female partner doing that? They're like, yeah, no, I can't. Like another guy, he might have a bigger dick than me. Mm. And so like masculinity comes over them where they're just like, yes, it's for me, but not for her. So I find that dynamic kind of interesting. Mm. I I definitely have experienced women's telling me that they don't think they could do it or it would be a thing that um would be attractive to them um particularly (laughs) but when i've spoken to women with children they have they have almost all come back and been like oh my god this is a brilliant idea Mm. i'm gonna ask my husband if we can do this Mm -hmm. because it just feels like it really works yeah um and but, but going back to is it easier for us as queers to do it? Mm. I think so because I think like so much in our community we we are built we are standing on the shoulders of the, those queers that came in front of us, mm. and so I'm very grateful for those queers of yesteryear who um, really carved out a like a, an unhomonormative way, mm. uh, who were very who were queer then without trying to be politically queer. Yeah. They just were. Yeah. But I also think it's easier for us because we live life on the left, and I don't mean the political left, we sit left of centre, yep. and some of us are literally nowhere near the centre, you know, we are ostracised or marginalised. So when you are othered, it's really easy for you to take permission to be more other. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And um, abandoning heteronormative ideals uh, or things that are imposed on our bodies about how we have to live, mm-hmm. how we have to have sex, mm-hmm. um, I also think it's a super anti-capitalist thing. I find this like one person that I will love means that I'm successful and I will buy them flowers and roses and they will be forever mine and we will die in each other's arms. Mm -hmm. It's so it's so Alan Sugar. It's the idea of success at, at any cost. And I think it feels super open and queer to be like whoever wants to come into this circle is welcome it's quite socialist actually (laughs) yeah and it's going against that traditional notion of ownership and property Mm. and like lest we forget that that's actually what marriage was about was this physical person is your property um yeah so it is kind of like and it is again the queering of to me queering means to kind of take societal norms and flip them on their head sometimes to the extreme that you're actually doing the exact opposite thing of what mainstream society tells you to do but there is definitely an element of for me queer meaning taking mainstream societal morals and flipping them into the inverse and um yeah just thinking back actually i mean I don't want to sound like I'm coming down on straight women. Like, I take back what I said earlier because I'm thinking back now on some of the reactions that I've had to um, telling people that I've got an open relationship. And actually, do you know what? Some of the bitchiest reactions I've gotten, I mean, from other gay men, 
And I think there is yes. an element, though, there where within the confines of gay male culture and queer culture, it's kind of assumed that, oh, we're all open and everyone's open. And some people do abuse that, actually. And I've been in situations where, like, particularly with my current partner, like, my basically, he's my husband, so I'm just going to call him my husband from now on. So with my husband, when we first got the thing is we were, we were... We were friends for about a year before it became a romantic coupling. Um, and within that space of a year, I was still shagging around and I was still like, you know, fucking other guys. And there was one particular guy who um, I had seen like two or three times and we're getting on really well and the sex is really good. We really fancied each other. But then when with my husband and it was like, wait a minute, we need to start this as a, I think this is going to a romantic place. Maybe we should start having sex and treating each other like boyfriends rather than just best friends. I had to contact this other guy and say like, sorry, babe, I'm putting this on hold for the time being because I'm exploring this with my now partner and I do think that we're going to have an open relationship as time goes on so I might be back in touch with you for more shaggings or whatever <laughs> <laughs> but this person just got back to me straight away and was really really negative about and was like oh enjoy your open relationship then hope you have a good one and like in a really sarcastic and obviously like they did not believe that open relationships worked and this actually came up quite recently because it was their 10 year anniversary um, a couple of months back well about six weeks ago and it just struck me that, oh, I remember we used to get those messages from that guy I used to fuck. And he was like, mm, how he used like off the with no contact from me. He would text me and say in a very sarcastic way, how's the open relationship going then? And I was just thinking, because wow. when, it got, when it got to our 10 year anniversary, I was just thinking, do you remember that guy? I fancy fucking texting him back and going 10 years strong because we have been together for 10 years. But, you know, so, yeah, no, I take back what I said earlier on about it coming from just from, you know, cisgender straight women. I'm like, yeah, I don't like generalizing like that. It's just from my own experience. And then I remembered, mm. actually, probably the bitches comments I've gotten have been from other gay men. So, but yeah. I often find that those those gay men um, are often just victims of their own internalised homophobia yeah. and victims of this patriarchal, mm -hmm. um, monogamous culture where they feel to be somehow sexually queer is to be deviant. And so they try to make that as, you yeah. know, like what Graham Norton is, essentially, which huh. is to be the sort of Ken... Ken doll version of gayness, yes. which yeah, is yeah. all of the light entertainment yeah. with none of the politic. But I also grant that there is probably quite a lot of gay men out there who, how to describe this, have been kind of like lured into falsely open relationships because the person they were with didn't actually want to be with them fully. Do you know what I mean? Like there was mm -hmm. a person on the other end who was abusing the notion of an open relationship. I get that. Like, I think there are quite a lot of, yeah, you know, they are opening up their relationship because they're not fully happy with each other, but they're not working out what it is that is not making them happy and working on that. They are trying to solve the unhappiness by bringing a third person in and it's never going to work. That's never like, you know, so I do grant that sometimes when you get those bitchy reactions off of gay people about their um, cynicism about open relationships is because from their own experience, a lot of them probably have been dicked over by partners who are like, oh, I just want to make the, the relationship open. But really what they're saying is like, this is a slow breakup. Mm -hmm. There is a reality to that. That definitely happens. And even if you maintain a working open relationship that is good and healthy, you need to 
respect that there are a lot of kind of bad open relationships out there as well, which leads to people being quite cynical about them. Yeah, and I mean, it does take work as mm-hmm. well. That's the other thing. I think people yeah. think, oh, you can just open up your relationship. And it's like, no, like, you've got to, before that happens, it's like, let's talk about boundaries. Let's talk about language. What is that? What, what you can't have set rules because what is okay for one person isn't okay for the other. Mm-hmm. And that's a continual, you know, there's like that old fashioned joke, which is um, gay, uh, gay men shag on the first night and lesbians move in yeah. on the first night. And to to elaborate on that, on the first night, non-monogamous people talk about their feelings. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, everyone's like working out what the boundaries yeah, are, and yeah, you know, like, yeah. okay, who's your partner? Yeah. And also to do with sexual health and well-being as well. To yeah. be, you know, sometimes you have to have very transactional conversations yeah. depending yeah. on what type of sex that you want to have. Yeah. Because, in my opinion and my experience, people who are non-monogamous or have other sexual partners often have high amounts of respect for other people's health including their other partners yeah. um, and also just disclosure as well mm-hmm. and those things which I, I find really generous about, about yeah. non-monogamy yeah. I was just going to say I think people often have this the thing that stops them is the jealousy they're always like oh my god I'd be so jealous oh my god I'd be so mm-hmm. jealous how do you mm-hmm. do it why are you not so jealous mm-hmm. and uh, often my response to that is like Jealousy is an emotion Mm -hmm. and like happiness, like no one ever goes, oh my God, how can you do that? Because you'd be happy. Um, It's like jealousy can be really a beautiful thing that informs and helps you understand another person that you can talk through and dissolve that jealousy into productive jealousy that can make your sex with that partner really good or your relationship or your connection with that other partner through jealousy can become stronger. Well, it is interesting that you bring up, you know, obviously any conversation about non-monogamy, non-monogamy is going to come around to jealousy at some point. But it is interesting that you bring that up because that's, you know, that was a big part of me and my husband's relationship when we, not jealousy, but kind of like discussions around and about jealousy. Because mm. like I said, we met and we um, we went on a date. We went on a blind date to see The Human Centipede. That was the uh, film <laughs> that he took me to see on a blind date. And, uh, you know, if you can get through a blind date with someone and the film you're going to see is The Human Centipede, there's a very good chance that that relationship is in, you're in for the long haul if you can make it through that film <laughs> with someone else. But the thing actually, like, you know, in terms of my own personal history and my story with that, um, we, I moved to Manchester in 2010 and it was I was only here a couple of months before I met him. And, you know, I was fresh meat in Manchester and I have a very high sex drive. I like sex and I like sex with a lot of different people. So at that point that we met, I was shagging around. Um, like, I am a shagger. And at that point, I was at some of my shaggiest in terms of, like, just being out there and having a lot of sex. And I met Joe, and we went to see The the Human Centipede. And it was a date, but it kind of ended not like a date, because usually to mean a date means taking somebody home. And you end a date by going to bed, because I am one of those people. I'm very into sex, and I have no shame in my sexual desire to have sex with people. If we're going on a date, you know, my main interest is to see that you're a nice person because I want to fuck. So anyway, Uh we went on this date and I was like, this guy's great, but I don't really want to fuck him. And also, I don't want to get into a long-term relationship or or a relationship like that right now because 
I'm a shagger and I'm out there shagging. I'm fresh meat in possibly outside of London, the gay capital of the UK. So I'm putting it out there and I want more dick. Um, mm-hmm. So we had a conversation about that. And I, my previous to that, my other long-term relationship that I'd come out of a couple of years before that was monogamous. And I just knew from my own experience that monogamy does not work for me. Like for like the reasons I explained earlier, like I like group sex, but also I don't like putting the pressure of being able to deliver everything that I want sexually on one person. So I come out of a long term relationship knowing that monogamy wasn't for me. And when I met Joe, even though we did go out on a date, um, I explained to him quite clearly that I'm not. I can't do monogamy. I, I, if I'm going to engage in a long-term relationship with someone, that relationship has to be open because I know that if it's not, I'll just end up breaking that anyway. So I'd rather have that much clearer from the get-go. And his reaction to that was he'd been in an opposite situation where he'd been in a relationship with a man who had used the idea of them having an open relationship to cheat on him. So he was like, well, I can't do that. If I'm going into a relationship, then I need to be in a monogamous relationship. So it was just like this kind of like agreement that like, okay, well, then we're not going to fuck. We're not. Go- we're just going to be friends because we really liked each other. We got on really well. And obviously we've been to see the human centipede. So that kind of bonded us and stuff. <laughs> Um, so we had this discussion at the very beginning, setting out the boundaries about what we wanted. And I was very clear that, you know, I like group sex, so I don't want uh, a monogamous relationship. And Joe was like, well, I've been fucked around in the past because of those very reasons. So I don't want an open relationship. So we stayed being friends. What happened in the kind of year of us being friends before we kind of were like, there is more going on here. I think we're in love with each other. We probably should start having sex. Um, to, you know, ratify that love. What happened in that year is that we hung around with each other and we both got to see each other trying to pull and fuck other men. So we were like in that bestie situation where we were talking about um, like the men we were going out and, and dating ourselves and stuff. And what happened, what Joe has told me that what happened with him is that the ideas of jealousy that he had built up around a potential partner in a long-term relationship with him, having sex with other people, he was able to see that happening in real life because even though we weren't a romantic couple, we were still best friends and we still had, like, he had very strong feelings for me. He told me since that I know now. So he was in a position where this person that he was falling in love with, he was able to see them going out and having sex with other people and want that did to him is that it kind of melted away the aspect of jealousy and I think that has got something to do with the fact that like like I said my primary motive in engaging with other people is sex I love sex I'm a shagger I wasn't looking for a romantic relationship when I was going out and seeing these other people like the you know the kind of quote-unquote romantic relationship that I was having at the time was actually with him because he'd be the person I'd come home and talk to about what the shag was like and stuff and he'd do the same and sometimes we'd find out oh my god we shagged the same person isn't that so funny Um, (laughs) so what happened there is that it melted away the jealousy that was potentially there and what stopped him from engaging straight away with an open relationship with me and he got to see it how an open the re, he got to see what the reality of an open relationship with me would be like even though we weren't having sex and it kind of even though we still do jealousy is never ever going to go away like it's always like you said it's a human emotion it is a natural feeling but mm. you know like i mean there's memes about this kind of thing but like toxic monogamy 
uses jealousy as a barometer of love and that is bullshit like the less jealousy you can bring to your own interpersonal relationships the more loving they become because jealousy is like a boundary of okay this is you know it's more like for me it's more like a rorschach test of like why am i jealous what is the jealousy coming from in me rather than the other person's activity that is making me jealous so, and that's the work and the labour that needs to happen mm-hmm. before people venture out, really. Like, th- those conversations need to happen. And for some people, kind of overcoming jealousy or acknowledging jealousy mm-hmm. um, isn't a hard... It isn't, it isn't difficult. I now exist in a world in which, particularly with one partner, there, there isn't much, if at all, jealousy present mm-hmm. because we've rehearsed the jealousy. Yes. But in, in a way, what I like to remind myself if that jealous feeling comes in is why don't I want them to have happiness? Yeah. Why don't I want them to have fulfilment? Yeah. What, like you're saying, like you have to ask yourself the question, mm-hmm. but, but really interrogating that, like why would I want to prohibit them from having having an experience yes absolutely that is that is a really good way of framing it i think why would i not want the person i love to be really happy and to not have this brilliant Mm. experience the other thing about jealousy for me and that like i realize it a lot more as i'm getting older and i'm unpacking my own psychology and stuff for me jealousy is also about why can't i have that so they're having that why can't i have that And that's, you know, the flip side is it's not even just about them, it's about me. And then I have to investigate in myself, why do I want that? Or, or, you know, is that genuinely something I don't feel I'm getting somewhere else? Or blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's turning it back on from being constantly projecting the state onto the other and feeling that the state that you have is all about the other and they are triggering it to actually going, well, no, this state only exists inside me. So it's very important for me to acknowledge that the state exists inside me and also investigate why it's coming up inside me. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, jealousy can be sparked by somebody going on fucking someone else that isn't their long-term partner. But also, like, jealousy just comes up for weird reasons. I mean, maybe it's just me, but, like, jealousy just brews up over just, like, can really, really shitty, mundane little things. And I think, like, for me personally, it is quite a good thing to investigate, like, why the fuck do I feel jealous about that? And stuff. Yeah, because it can really channel into past traumas or yes. being ostracised and marginalised yeah. when you were younger and, you know, f- particularly around the fat body as well yes. um, because fat people are considered to be broken mm. um, and you and I know different that fat people and fat bodies aren't needing to be fixed but we can adopt those fat phobic um, narratives mm-hmm. because we live amongst it all the fucking time. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I you know... I guess the sort of takeaway from here is that like, like it's it's a really generous thing because when you were saying there about the jealousy and being like, why do I want that? Well, the great thing about non-monogamy is that you can have it if you want it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as long as the boundaries are clear and they're set up as well, which, you know, we've mentioned that before. And I think from both our stories, it should be quite clear to listeners that like discussions and setting boundaries and being able to talk very openly and very freely without you know a whole lot of judgment coming on being aware that there will be a little judgment but we need to work through that as well being able to talk openly and freely is 
for me, a really, really massive part of what an open relationship means. And it's not just the sex thing, like, oh, we're open sexually in terms of we will fuck other people. It's like, well, we're open to the point where we will talk about the other people that we're fucking. I mean, we like, for instance, in my in our relationship with me and Joe, we tend to fancy roughly the same kind of men, which is big men, beer, uh, bears and chubs and stuff. So we quite often will fancy the same men. So we'll talk about it, about who we are fucking if we're both not fucking the same person and discuss them. And that works for us. I mean, I do get that there are open relationships where the person doesn't want to know what's going on. But there is also open relationships where it's just like, no, you know, just don't. There's a kind of, um, you know, a hidden aspect to it. And for me, I'm just I always question that because it's like, well, if the other person doesn't genuinely want to know, and they're like, do what you want. Just keep it out there. And I don't want to know. That's fair enough. But then there's definitely times where it's just like, oh, they don't actually know you're fucking around, do they? And yeah, and that's where I think actually it's far healthier to to have those conversations, to have that sort of post evaluation yeah. with with your partners, yes. because what is going on in your head when you're in that jealous state, when you're in that phase of it being new, when it feels like a new muscle that you're kind of learning how it works, mm-hmm. is far more like horrible and horrific than the reality of what's really happening yes yeah (laughs) because you can build a narrative in your head that is completely untrue and from personal experience when i first started having other relationships like having those conversations yeah it was a little bit difficult but once you're on that bike it's like oh okay right i can start to accept jealousy i can start to want the best for you and the picture of what's happening in my head is far different to what the actuality of what's happening is and also an aspect of that that i see very clearly in my own relationships but i think is quite transferable to a lot of open relationships that's going on as well especially if they're the kind of swinging mold where it's just about sex is sex sex exists as a kind of pleasure fantasy in all our heads that's how we interact with it so if for instance my partner was to come home and tell me oh my god i had this amazing lay and he's so good and you know blah 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 and i'm sitting there i'm like i want that and then that sparks jealousy in me but then if for instance we did bring that person home and then they're doing a sex act that my partner really loves but i'm kind of bored with like you know, being completely honest, like, I'm not a massive fan of blowjobs, of getting blowjobs. I love sucking dick, but for me, getting, you know, there's some, there's, you know, sometimes there's a particular kind of style that I like, but a lot of the time, you know, it's not really my kind of thing. So if, for instance, my partner brought home somebody who gives an amazing blowjob and they're going like, oh, this is so good, this is so good, that aspect of this is so good... I have built up in my fantasy sex head, in my fantasy, you know, my fantasies about what this potential sex partner could be like and how amazing it could be. I built this up into this other thing. And then I see that the reality of what that thing is is different and it's more suitable to my partner than it is to me. And that's fine. And I can let go of some of those jealous thoughts of like, well, I want that fantastic sex to happen to me. I want those mm-hmm. pleasures in my body because I recognize that, oh, actually, the pleasures that are really hitting home with my partner are not the kind of pleasures that I'm that into. So, you know, um, you know, I'm glad that they're having that and that they're getting that. But for me, I'm like, oh, this isn't actually what I thought it might be. And, you know, it's healthy to acknowledge that, I think. It's healthy, especially when it comes to sex. I feel sex is so 
highly tied up with our imaginal, our imaginal minds. And because it is seen as such pure pleasure, such a pure form of pleasure, because it is physically very pleasurable, it kind of sometimes the idea and the fantasies of what sex could be can run away with us. And it's good to ground that in reality sometimes as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 Amen. Retweet all of those. (laughs) (laughs) So that seems like a pretty good place to uh, wind up for this edition of Body Talk with the Nihilist. Scotty, thank you very much for coming on. And would you like to tell the listenership where they can find you? Um, On the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, on various different parts of the internet, because I do like it. Um, I also have a podcast called After the Tone, Mm -hmm. um, where we gossip about lots of different things. But honestly, can I just say how rewarding it is just to sit here and be able to talk about the sort of relationships that I have and the sort of sex that I have without any form of judgment or like, oh my God, don't you get jealous? And oh, does everybody know? And what does your husband think? Mm. And all of that stuff. So um, I'm going to be an avid listener of um, this podcast. I know you're not always going to talk about non-monogamy, but to be able to have, you know, coming from a very like Catholic working class background, to be able Mm -hmm. to have conversations about sex and relationships that aren't layered in shame Mm -hmm. feels really... really open and rewarding in it though in it though that honestly is one of the main reasons why i want to do this podcast is to be able to yeah have a forum where we can discuss sex and sexuality where it's not humorous necessarily it can be it's not titillation i mean it can be but it's not primarily it's just very direct and open discussions about these things and there's so much baggage to work through being raised catholic like oh my god mm-hmm. even just the act of doing a podcast about sex in and of itself feels so transgressive to me and yeah like full disclosure i've told my family it's like you are not allowed to listen to this podcast but the family members that know that this podcast is happening, there's family members who do not know that this podcast is happening for their own good. And then the ones yeah. that do this is like, yeah, guys, you probably don't want to listen to, you know, me talking about getting bummed. So. Um, when I was about 21, this guy from Cork said to me something that will always stay with me and something that I always like to impart with other people because I think people give you nuggets of knowledge and information as a gift for you to throw to other people so he said catholic guilt and shame has a lot to answer for but sometimes it can feel really nice (laughs) and when that that moment of shame kind of comes into sex i always try and transform it into it feeling nice oh What a lovely place to leave it. Unfortunately, at this point in the podcast, we began to experience technical difficulties and the recording had to be terminated, unfortunately. Was this technical sabotage, in fact, an act of divine intervention by our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ to save our deviant souls and to guide us towards his light and the true way? Find out next week on Body Talk with the Nihilist, episode three, where we will be joined by special guest Cheddar Gorgeous of TV's Drag SOS and the Family Gorgeous fame, or notoriety, I should say, where we will be discussing sexual and other kinds of compulsion. All that's left now is for me to thank you, the listener, for making it this far. 
and also Scotty Scotty for being first ever guest on Body Talk with the Nihilist. He took my podcast virginity and I wouldn't have wanted to give it to anyone else. You can find Scotty on Twitter at Scotty is fat. That's S-C-O-T-T-E-I-S-F-A-T. And you can find me on Twitter too, The Nihilist. That's T-H-E-N-I-A-L-L-I-S-T. Till next time.